Welcome to Stark Contrast, a Game of Thrones podcast at Movie Fail. I'm Josh Rosenfield, here with Soren Howe, and we are talking about episode, uh, what was it, seven? Yeah, of season seven. six. Yes, The Broken Man. Um, I don't know, this episode didn't super do it, this is a weird episode. It was really? really? Oh, that's funny. It kind of, everything kind of fell off to me, uh, for a number of reasons, and you know, the the first one is the <laughs> the first thing that happens, which is the fact that there's a cold open. Yeah, that was weird, reason. huh? Uh, yeah, right. Um, do you want to talk about generally, or do you want to jump right in? Well, generally, I'll say I really like this episode. Actually, I really, really enjoyed it. Um, I mean, I have. I mean, we'll talk throughout about what you know things that I. But overall, I mean, most of the complaints I usually have about Game of Thrones, I didn't have it all here, and um, it was weird. There was something sort of off about it. It wasn't off in the way that other episode was. I can't remember which one. Where every like even line delivery seemed weird. Yeah, which to me was good. <laughs> right, right, right. I, yeah. I think here, but I and I don't think that I don't think that was the episode we disliked. There was the one that we disliked, which wasn't didn't seem off. It just wasn't good. Um, <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, no, I I liked this episode and it felt off, but I I liked it anyway. Um, I liked the way it was shot. I liked the way it was put together. It was weird. It was different, but I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing, especially on a show that tends to sort of, like, directors definitely put their stamps on things, but it tends to fit a certain mold, and in this case, you know, it shook things up a little bit. I I dug that. The cold open was weird and served no purpose. I think that was weird. I don't know why they thought that was a good idea, but the rest of it, yeah. Yeah, yeah, so so the first scene of the episode is this, it was, yeah, first of all, it's weird that it doesn't start with the opening theme, because the only episodes that have had cold opens are the the pilot and the premieres of seasons three and four. Right. I think that's right. Um, Does season five open with the... Uh... No, that's not a cold open. That's, that's not right, a cold that's, open. Yeah, I, which I think it probably should have been because it's so disconnected. Um, weirdly not having one there. But then all of a sudden there's a cold open in the middle of season six. Right. It, you know? It was just bizarre. And the reason that it's a cold open is also bizarre because the whole point is it's reintroducing the Hound, which is cool. It's a, you know, a character who we thought was dead for a season and a half is back. But also, like, is the Hound really a big enough character to warrant that? I don't know. It was a, it was a little weird. That said, they didn't really drag it out. It just sort of is. Well, that's <laughs> that's what's weirder about it, too. Yeah, it just kind of like, it's like a 60 seconds. We, we show the Hound... And then we go into the opening credits, and the whole scene is scored by this, you know, very jaunty version of the opening theme to lead into it, which I I did like that, but it's weird to like this isn't like revealing that Rob is still alive or something. No, that no, probably that would have well, warranted that would be a crazy. Like, yeah. It's the Hound, and I like the Hound, and I'm glad he's back, but like it's is is this is a weird way to it's a weird way to open an episode in general. Well, I think the I part guess. of the problem is we were getting around like you know beating around the bush last week about this. Um, but yeah. we were expecting it, and so maybe that's why, maybe for a lot of people, this was this made sense as a cold open. You don't know it's coming? I don't know. I guess. I mean, the Hound is certainly a very well-liked character. Um, I, you know, I, I like I said, I like him a lot, but it's just I don't just like him. I think Roy McCann is good, and I think he's good for the show. Like, I think he brings something to the show that's not usually there. Um, no, definitely. Yeah, you know, it's it's this whole other element to it. So I think that's pretty cool. Um, yeah. So anyway, I I, uh, I thought it was weird, but I liked it, and I really liked I liked all the scenes with him um, in this episode. So, and that you know, I would say it's probably the focal point of what's going on um, for the most part. It's sort of 
it's in the middle, beginning, and end of the the episode. It's definitely the uh, the bookend. Yeah. The, how the do you feel line. about the fact? How do you feel about the fact that he's back, though? Just in general. How do I feel about the fact that he's back? Yeah, I like that he's still alive. Um, it's less unreasonable than, uh, you know, John coming back. <laughs> you know, sure. <laughs> when they leave the Hound, there was a lot of. I mean, I think we probably talked about it, and you were probably, you know, not saying anything. But I was, you know, I was like, he, you know, he doesn't have to be dead. It's, people have come back from worse in in this world. I feel like, and he was, you know, he wasn't beheaded or something. I'm fine with it. I'm fine with yeah. it, and I liked his reintroduction. Um, my issue with this storyline is more in the ending, which we can talk about later. Yeah, exactly. So, um, the whole thing with this is that. Um... It's yet another fan theory that's been confirmed. Right, yep. Uh, because the way that this goes down in the books is it's a Brienne chapter, and she meets this guy, Septon Maribald, who gives this great speech about the broken... We talked about this last week, I think. The broken man speech, which isn't doesn't really happen in this episode. Um, if I don't remember the specifics of it well enough to remember if the speech that he that Ian McShane gives is kind of a translation of it, but I would assume that they're kind of... Similar. That's what they were going for with that monologue. Sure. Um, but... In basically, the idea is she meets Septon Maribald, and uh, she sees this guy digging graves for the uh, for the church. And the way that he's described by the narration is very similar to ways that the Hound is described. And you know, she never sees his. You know, she, the guy covers his face, and obviously in the books, Brienne never meets the Hound, so she would have no way of knowing who it was anyway. Um, but it's like the book makes it pretty clear without being explicit that it is the Hound. But it's you know, it's vague enough that it has to be considered a theory. Mm. Um, but it's. You know, it's obviously confirmed here that the Hound is alive. So this isn't Septon Maribald, but he, for all intents and purposes, is the exact same character. Right, which right, right. makes it really weird that they didn't just call him that. Um, it's a weird decision the show makes it Does a he lot have a of name? times. Is they'll... He is, according to the credits, he's named Ray. <laughs> just a bizarre, bizarre Westeros name. <laughs> you know? It's like Kevin Lannister. It's like, so you, people have all these weird names, like, you know... Uh, uh, well, you know, Cersei and uh, Dickon, whatever. Yeah, and Dickon. <laughs> but then there's just a guy named Ray. Ray. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's a bit weird. But you know, I, I get that they were they were trying to sort of change it a bit for the purpose of um. Uh, you know, I mean, like like you said, it couldn't happen the way it happened in the books. So they. Yeah, and he's obviously it, not the exact same character. It's like you know, it's you. We can't expect, and I I wouldn't expect um every time they make a scene that's a little different than the books to keep everything the same except for the thing they're changing. Like, if you're going to rewrite the scene, just rewrite the scene. No, yeah, you know. I agree with you. So, um, but yeah, but you're right. For all intents and purposes, more or less the same thing. Um, yeah, it, it's a little weird to name the episode that, though, except for to, like, call out to fans, hey, guess what's going to happen in this episode? Well, yeah, that's what's especially weird about it because, like, people know, fans of the books know the Broken Man speech. They know about Septon Maribald, and they know about the Hound, or they know that those three things connect. So if you see that the episode is called The Broken Man, then you know, you think, oh, Septon Maribald's going to be in it, and probably it's going to reveal that the Hound is back. Um, but only one of those things is true, and it has nothing to do with the Broken Man speech, which doesn't even happen. Right. And the only time Broken Man is even mentioned in this episode is in reference to Theon. So, yeah, it's a strange... It's a weird... It's definitely a call-out, like, uh, you but know, it does, very if sly it works, reference. But if it works for but other yeah, I mean, characters, not, yeah. It does absolutely work. Um... But it's a very and it works sort of reference symbolically for like the Stark House, yeah, or even and for the Hound too. I mean, 
And for the hound. Yeah, and for the hound, and for you know John in some ways, and for yeah, you know, it works like you know sort of for a bunch of I mean, like things. These, but yeah, like these titles often do, very you know symbolic of everything. Which is good. I mean, sometimes they don't seem to have anything to do with anything. So you know, I'd rather <laughs> this. I'd rather this. I don't know why we always spend so much time on the titles, but I just find them interesting. I find like the, the, the thought process that goes into them interesting because it's like half the time I'm like, what are you doing? Why would you do that? <laughs> or when they like make a reference to something that seems to be calling out a fan theory or referencing a fan theory or a fan thing or something in the books and then they just don't do it. And you're like, why yeah. Why did you do that? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I like, it's it's clearly a nod to fans of the books. And I even if, you know, the speech I should mention is like super long. It's like, it would probably take like a full five minutes to for him to recite the whole thing. But I honestly, like I'd watch least, it. No, I totally would. I mean, I'm you know I'm not super thrilled about uh, what happens to Ian McShane in this episode. Yeah, we'll get to that at the end. Yeah, um, but yeah, of course I'd watch Ian McShane read the phone book. He's amazing. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, and and that's why I really love him, despite how small his uh his role is in this. He's like I don't know. He totally kills it. I love him. Yeah, he's great. Um, but anyway, so yeah, so there's a cold open, and then uh, what happens next? So so we and then we get obviously we go to uh. Marjorie and the High Sparrow. Marjorie and the High Sparrow in the same room again. In that same goddamn room. I don't get it. It's, a, <laughs> it's the same room. Every I single episode. I don't understand the what the supposed Yeah, I I don't I don't understand this. Um I'm glad we finally get confirmation that Marjorie's fully aware of what's going on and not you know, she didn't Yeah. jump ship and join the uh the sparrows. But yeah, it's uh frustrating to see this again and also uh i didn't like okay this was different a different speech from the high sparrow but it was like creepy and weird yeah very like mra all of a sudden yeah well you know i don't even know if it's mra it's sort of like what you might expect in i don't listen i don't i'm not a historian it's what you might expect from like a traditional maybe medieval story where like this is what women do and this is what men do but it was so I don't know. When he said it, it just rubbed me the wrong way. He's like... Well, what's funny is that even for a place like Westeros, which is obviously creepy. very medieval in its gender yeah. roles, it's like, even this seems, like, regressive. Yep. Like, for Westeros, it seems regressive. Um, and well, obviously I mean, Marjorie picks up on that. <laughs> um, I mean, he's literally you know, saying... I mean, what does he literally say? Oh, uh, desire isn't required on the woman's part. What? Yeah, just... He's only patience. Only patience. <laughs> what? I was like, all right, this guy needs to die. Oh, my God. Yeah. Wow. That's funny. Yeah, it's funny because it's the first moment where I was like, the High Sparrow is pretty obviously evil. Yeah. Like, he's clearly evil. But this is the first time where his rhetoric was, like, openly evil. Because when he talks about, like, revolution and overthrowing the power power structures and the class structures, I'm like, all right, I mean, you're evil, but, like, I'm with you in theory. Because we know that everyone in King's Landing is evil, too. Right, sure. (laughs) But this is the first moment where we're like, oh, man, this is... Like, you fundamentally believe this about humanity. You know, yeah. and that's, I think that's the problem is that, you know, this isn't just the, you know, the, the ruling class. He's talking about literally an entire demographic of people. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it was a little uh, disconcerting. So I'm glad that rubbed you the wrong way, too. Um, yeah, no. And especially weird since we know it's not the case, like, gender roles are kind of backwards in Westeros, but it's not the case everywhere. We know it's not the case in Dorne, for example. Um, even, you know... But we know it's Even not now. Pike. Well, I mean, but but Dorne all but Dorne always had uh, 
from what Oberyn said, it always seemed to have a more egalitarian uh, sort of thing. Equal, egalitarian. Yeah, exactly. Um, we know in Pike, well, there's certainly uh, there was some resistance to the idea of a female leader, but Balon didn't seem to have any, you know, hesitation with making Yara his heir. He didn't, um, but they seem to be like. Really, really, it's not just resistance. Or like, there's never been a queen. It'll, it'll never be a queen. It's ridiculous. But then, actually, they were seemed to be for it, and then Euron showed up. Yeah, it seemed like that one guy was like, "There will never be a queen." But once they heard her, they were like, "All right, you know, who, like, who cares?" Right. right. <laughs> um, and if, unfortunately, Euron had to be there. Of course, but, yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah. So this is a. Uh, it really, it's it's kind of specifically, I think, this area of Westeros. So, like even. Um, well, I guess we'll get to how they treat Sansa later in the episode, but I think it kind of reflects on this as well. Interesting. Okay. All right. Um, speaking of, I think we at the next scene we get uh, the first. So, so this episode has a lot of John yes, and Sansa the, uh... and uh, Davos going around talking to houses, and the the free folk. Right, and um, so that we get is, the free folk first. Speaking of repetitive scenes, like how many times have we gotten this scenes where John goes to the wildlings and he's like, "I need you," and they're like, eh. and then Tormund it did says really remind like, oh, me okay. of just before Hard Home. Yeah, it's like the exact same scene. I mean, but you have to, you know, you see where the wildlings are coming from. It's like at least. Oh no, I totally you know, see the point. They may have they have a great. At a hard home, it was like it was like, come on, guys, like this is, you need to fight them, with or without me. You're gonna have to fight the the army of the dead. Right. But I see their point. Like, you know, I why should we have to go and you know, free your home from your enemies for you. And but Tormund makes a compelling argument, and but yeah, it felt like an almost an unnecessary scene. Like at this point, you, I, I believe that the wildlings will follow John. I don't need to see them convinced again. Right, right, right. Yeah, I mean it, it's fine. I will say that I liked. It, it gave Tormund a chance to continue his weirdly gregarious streak. Um. He was. I mean, I know he would like distrust. I I understand his arc, but it's so weird to see him so. Full, fully embrace John and this entire concept. It's just, it's funny to me to see it. Um, and I also liked at the end when uh, John asks him, you know, are you going to, are they actually going to show up? And he makes a dig at, at the South, at the Southerners. <laughs> it's like, when we give our word, we actually show up. I like that. Yeah. I thought that was funny. And it, and it pretty much. I like that he calls them Southerners too. That was yeah, funny. that's great too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, they are. And that's what, I mean, that's, yeah. what, the, that's what the wildlings always call them, you know, because they're. They're southerners to them, although now they are. I mean, they're living in the south too. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, so I I like this this scene for that, and I liked Tormund. Um, but yeah, we have seen this before, and it was funny. I was so I was screenshotting some of these just you know for images for the um to to post, and as I was screenshotting, I was like, wow, this sure looks a lot like that scene from before, huh? Um, just in my head, you know. Uh, but I didn't mind it at the moment. Um, in any case, so then we go back to. Olena and Cersei. Right. Uh, so back to King's um, Landing. So not back to them, but back to King's Landing. Yeah. Well, yeah, Olena's uh, getting prepared to leave because Marjorie's given her this symbol that she's still loyal, that she hasn't been turned, that she's playing a game. Um, which also, like... I mean, no, never mind. I get why Olena's leaving, obviously, because she's probably next on the chopping block, but... And she's got... Um, and she's out of... Well, yeah, that's why she wants her to leave. But, like, she's out of ideas, too. Um Elena yeah. seems to be completely useless at this point, which I don't understand, but whatever. Well, yeah, and it also... It's weird because, yeah, it's weird that she's out of ideas, but it's also weird that in that position she would refuse Cersei on principle in this scene. 
Because, like, if you're if I was in Elena's position, I'd be like, look, I hate Cersei. She's a loathsome person, but, like, she's right. We do need to or work Or I together. can use her or something. Or I can, yeah, exactly. Or I can use her, and, you know, to my own advantage without her knowing. But it's weird. Elena's always seemed so crafty and so, you know, uh, clever and everything. It's it's strange to see her. She just throws up her hands and goes, yeah, well, I don't like you, so I'm just going to sit here and spin. Exactly. Like, on, yeah, on grounds like that, like, obviously, <laughs> I don't I don't disagree with her about the kind of person Cersei is. Um, but it seems weird that, you know, consider, like, Elena's a murderer. We know that. Sure. She killed Joffrey. So for her to sit there and judge Cersei for being a terrible person and refuse to her, work with her on those grounds is, like, Kind of hypocritical and an obviously bad decision. But Joffrey... Well, I mean, I'm not saying... <laughs> you know, and just... also, you know, I don't know, maybe Elena feels... I don't know that she feels good, but maybe she feels guilty about... You know, they're I having a conversation about, about children, Joffrey. and the last one, she killed. And yeah, I mean, you're standing in front of a woman whose child you murdered and it's saying, a awkward. what a terrible person you are. Yeah. Now I'm thinking about that, that's like, I'm, I'm not really... I'm not with Elena on this one at all. I'm not with her, but I, I. The more we talk about it, the more I'm like, you know, I kind of get. I I understand her using that as a shield so that she doesn't have to like awkwardly work with someone whose kid she killed, and she might also still hold resentment, uh, for Cersei not seeing what Joffrey was doing, or not caring, or enabling it, or allowing him to run wild and do the things he did, and he did a lot of really awful, terrible things. So I, it could be that she's still, you know. She's like, I killed Joffrey, but you enabled all that stuff, so I'm still pissed at you, which I understand too. But you're right, I, I would think she would not bury the hatchet in any way, shape, or form, but at least attempt to manipulate her or something. Yeah, especially since her, it, you know, it would be different if um, if Loras was out of prison at this point and she really had nothing, you know, she, there was no point to her staying in the capital. Uh, she had nothing to do there. She could just go home once she knew Marjorie was safe. But Cersei makes a good point that you know, Loras is still rotting in prison. He could be executed. Um, I like this. You know, he's or, still the future of the house thing that they're they're keeping up, which to me always <laughs> means like heirs. And it's not that he couldn't have an heir. I guess they could make him, you know, have yeah. kids with someone. But like, everyone's on the same page on this Loras guy, right? They've made it pretty yeah. clear to the audience. And well, I mean, else. I guess he doesn't have any other brother, so it's like I, I think I think Loras probably understands what would what will be expected of him, but his family is pretty accepting, you know, otherwise. Yeah, they seem to be. Yeah, I, it's just, it's it's strange to me. Um, it's because they make such a big deal out of it, it feels like he might be like, you know, I didn't like pretending with whoever, who, who was he supposed to be married to at some point? Oh, God, I don't even remember. I only remember that he was uh, with Renly, obviously. Right, 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 right. He went to Renly. He was with somebody. What, who was that? He was pledged to somebody, yeah, but I don't remember who. And somebody important, no, wait, wasn't well, it? He was pledged to Cersei, wasn't he? Was it Cersei? I think so, and yeah, Cersei was not happy about that, I no. remember. Yeah. No, but I remember there was some scene where... Oh, yeah. I remember it was during... I think it was probably around season two, which is probably why I blocked it out. I don't know. I don't remember. <laughs> I just... But yeah. So, I don't know. I don't know why he would necessarily want to go back to that, but it's certainly better than whatever he's doing now, so maybe that's... That's the whole thing. Um, but yeah, you're right. So, so... Yeah, this is a uh, an interesting scene, and, and by the way, I liked I liked the uh, I assumed the note was going to say something, and then it had a rose on it, and I thought that was you know that was clever. It was, clever. Yeah. It was nice and subtle, you know, I'm with you kind of thing. Um, I don't know how Septuunella didn't notice that. By the way, it made the loudest crunching. Well, that I noticed I've that too, heard. and I was thinking about that, but like <laughs> obviously enhanced for us. But we're supposed well, to yeah. imagine it's quiet. Otherwise, it would seem very <laughs> weird. 
Although, you know, honestly, they could have just done it and then had a scene slightly, you know, just after where she opens it yeah, and well, goes, they oh, that's had, what happened. I, I think that scene would play if you removed the noise, if you just showed their hands right. moving around and Elena looking surprised and then she opens the note. Like, I think that would have made sense to people. But then adding the crunching noise, it's like, <laughs> and it's so loud. Yeah, that's some hardcore Foley right there. You know, and I think... Um, <laughs> Uh, we've learned by this point that subtlety is not really in the Game of Thrones handbook. <laughs> well, yeah, <I> know. <laughs> you're right. I don't know what I'm expecting at this point. <laughs> crunch, crunch. There's a note here, and then like a little arrow comes out with a little label. Well, I'm, yeah, I'm surprised hands. it didn't say in big block um, letters like "I'm still on your side." <laughs> this character still with this character now. Um, but anyway, uh, so uh, fast forward to Jamie and Braun. Yes, they are already at River Run. <laughs> already at River Run because everything moves really um, fast now. Which it doesn't yet. Well, and actually, I, I should mention, um, I looked at the map for the first time in a while just to kind of place things because of, I was curious about how another storyline was going to go. Oh. And we'll get to that later. But um, River Run is not that far from King's Landing. Oh, okay. It's actually, in the grand scheme of things, relatively close. It is so far from the wall. So I don't know how Brienne is going to get there at the same time as Jamie next week. <laughs> well, maybe not. Oh, wait, are they, she, are they, is she supposed to be there next week? She's in the preview, oh, yeah. Okay. All right. So unless it cuts to like three months later and they're still at River Run, um, that's going to be a little, they're going to fudge that a little bit. They might, they might have to, but you know, at this point I don't care. You know, teleport. It's no, I like... mean, it's it's always been a problem, but it's funny that, uh, like if you actually look at the map, the distance, and, and you know, John and Sansa are crisscrossing all over the north this episode, like instantaneously. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. It's just fun. It's crazy. Well, again, I think, <laughs> it's, it's I think us seeing them at these different places, we're not assuming, like, they're walking from door to door, you know. They're... No, yeah, it's... Uh, yeah, like, I don't actually... I don't actually have a problem with it, but it's just funny that, you know, when you consider how these distances uh, would actually play out, the show doesn't make any sense. The scope, yeah. The you just, you just have to not care. Um, but, yeah, so I like this, and I like, uh, I like Jamie and his armor. I think it looks cool. Uh, well, I like seeing Braun again. I like, I yeah, that. their rapport is pretty much the same. Um, I dig it. I, I dig it. I actually, actually, everything with these two characters, well, actually, everything at River Run was great. I really liked it a lot. Um, I liked the, I like Jamie, sort of. Uh, maybe this doesn't happen until later. I don't know. They keep cutting around in this episode, but um, I like Jamie, sort of telling the phrase they don't think very much of them uh, and don't care what they have mm. to say. That was great because they're idiots and don't understand if you kill... First of all, they're dealing with like a master tactician and they think that mm -hmm. this very, very basic threat will work for some reason. I don't know why they think that. Second of all, yeah, what, what my, he's yeah, their one bargaining chip. Why would he... Like, they know. He, <laughs> he knows he's, they're not going to kill him. Yeah. So it's just a stupid, you know, and Blackfish is watching this whole thing like, Okay, and third, I don't think Blackfish particularly cares about this character. I don't. I, it doesn't mm -hmm. seem like he cares at all. Well, props to props to Edmure for not, you know, for standing his ground and not like screaming for help. Which is when we previously saw Edmure, he was not a super uh, stoic uh, character. I guess I think he's uh, just broken. His introduction, yeah, but I'll always remember his introduction where he's failing to, you know, shoot the arrow to light the. Uh, Oh right! Oh, that's general. the guy. That's so funny. Oh right! <laughs> that's how I'll always think of the character. So to see him like this, very you know. Is it Blackfish who steps in and does it? Yeah. Oh okay. Well, yeah, so it's sense. the same scene that introduces them both. Um, God, that's such a funny scene. But um, yeah, it's what my favorite scene. My favorite moment of this episode is when Blackfish leaves, and what the one Fred turns to the other and uh, gives this little look like, mm -hmm. 
I don't know what to do. What do you think? This is, it's just, he doesn't even say anything. It's just like this little head shake. It's like, what? <laughs> that was, that's all I got. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I just, I, I don't know what it is. And, and is this the same actor who played Blackfish before? Yeah, I think so. Um, he's great. I think he's really solid. Yeah. Uh, I didn't, everyone, you know, you and people who read the books are like, Blackfish, Blackfish. And then he showed up for five seconds in whatever season he showed <laughs> up, season three, I guess. Um, and that was it. And I didn't really care about his character at all. Like I didn't, I didn't, it wasn't like it was stupid. I just didn't care. Um, some characters make an impression right away, like Braun or the Hound or whatever. Uh, but Blackfish didn't. And in this scene, we told I whatever it is you guys were trying to get across. I finally get it. He's very interesting, <laughs> very cool character. I like him. Um, his whole negotiation scene with Jamie is awesome. Um, and by the way, I just want to give a quick shout out. PG Dylan, uh, PJ Dylan is the uh, cinematographer on this episode. Mm-hmm. I was just going around screenshotting random shots in this, and they're beautiful. Yeah, no, he did a Gorgeous. fantastic job. And, well, and the problem, yeah, the problem is that every so often there would be a shot that would be like, that's really good, you know? I'm glad someone took the time to frame that up. And it was immediately they cut away from it. Well, yeah. Um, because of the, that's how the editing on the show. That's how the editing always is. But I mean, as far as Game of Thrones standards go, it was pretty good. And 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 what was mm. cool is there were sh- there would be shots that just didn't need to be as interesting as they were, and they he mm-hmm. still went for them. So like you know a shot from, oh, I don't even remember what it was. There was some shot where, it was uh, two characters were standing there and they decided to put the camera like on the ground but behind horses, or something. So it's just it gives like a, a layer of depth to the shot that just wasn't there uh wouldn't have been there if they had just done a straight you know whatever medium shot of these characters and um yeah it's just these like little things it's not it's not huge it's not you know but it it just it felt more epic it felt more you know appropriate for the context of what we're watching which is a show about you know dragons and prophecies and you know whatever gods and the rest of it uh so anyway i just i want to give a shout out to that because i i was i was really into it I was into there. I mean, it's also just beautiful framing and uh, not a lot of like portrait shots, you know, like, you know, center framed, just, you know, things off to the side characters, you know, sliding in and out of focus. It was, I don't know. It was nice. I dug it. Yeah, no, definitely. I, I, I noticed that too. A lot of very, like I said, though, it's just, if they could stay on it for more than a second and a half, that would be nice. Um, oh, one, actually, this is a, a good example of it. One, one good one, um, which, you know, we've seen in other things. It's not new, um, but, the idea, or the, or the perspective shots, all the shots of Blackfish, it's sort of, like when he's up on the wall, they're all, um, uh, you know, all the, the, the camera's tilted up, and then it's looking down at Jamie when he's coming up to the bridge to negotiate, and they, so you get these this clear power dynamic, which is um, repeated in the in the dialogue and what's going on, because obviously Black, but even, there's a frame, for example, where Jamie's in the background on the right-hand side, and he's sort of out of focus, and Blackfish is in the front, and it's just because Jamie's behind him, not because he's taller or shorter or whatever. Um, he looks smaller, and Blackfish looks bigger than him because he's winning this negotiation. Because Jamie has apparently not figured out how to negotiate with people, and he's you know he's he's not doing very well. And and the way the camera work works, it also accentuates that. And I was just you know I was impressed with that. It's not the kind of thing you usually see um, in the show. Uh, but yeah, so right. I, so I like this, and I you know. Like I said, I like the, uh, I like I like Braun sort of second guessing everything from the from the background and and uh, 
yeah, I'm I'm interested to see how this plays out. And I think that Blackfish makes an excellent point about sieges. And I like that he pointed out sieges are boring because I'd rather not watch a siege for like, you know, five episodes. So hopefully it'll <laughs> all come to some sort of res- resolution at some point. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the next thing that happens is we go to Lyanna Mormont. Oh, yeah. Um. Oh, God, what a great scene. Uh, we, of course, we heard from Lyanna Mormont famously last season when she sent that note to Stannis that said, uh, you know, we only know one king in the north and his name is Stark. And we finally get to meet her. And God, this actress was incredible. She is good. This girl, she's so good. Um, I love... The first thing I love about this scene is that John and Sansa both make the mistake of like trying of like condescending to her. Oh yeah. And then John kind of gets it, but he also like can't help himself. <laughs> you know, like he kind of gets it for a little bit and he's talking to her respectfully, but then he's like, "So you see, my lady, when when things are like this and she cuts him off." Oh. You know what was perfect that... about this about what you're saying is that the last time they had to deal with anyone who was like her, it was basically mm-hmm. Arya and they did condescend her because he was their little sister and all the rest of it. Yeah. Um, but the reason Davos is the one who talks to her, like she's yep. an adult, is because of Shireen. And I think that that was uh, that dynamic was very evident in their uh, interaction. Yeah, I love that it calls back to um to his relationship with Shireen without uh like explicitly Overtly, bringing yeah. it up. Yeah, exactly. It's it's a very it's very clever writing that way that he's able to talk to her. Um. Although he, I feel like he gives, he's, again, this is like, like, I hate to keep harping on the, on, I, hate to, he, he, I hate to keep repeating the repetition complaint, but like, how many times have we seen this scene where like, the people Davos is with can't negotiate, but then he steps up and he's like, oh, well, I used to be a smuggler, and I'm named after an onion, and I'm just a regular <laughs> I'm down home folk. I'm actually and the, Shrek. And the people, yeah, no, yeah. He, <laughs> And the people he's uh, talking to are like, oh, yes, you know, you make a good point. <laughs> yeah, like this, I guess it was just another more scene context to this one, and it was, like I said, it was subtle, and it, it was cool, they didn't you know have a shot of like zooming in on him as he like flashes back to Shireen you know like (laughs) Um, they just they just go for it and uh, I thought it I thought it was you know it worked out Um, uh, I like the way this scene I also like the way it was shot like again here's another example of of these really cool shots from behind the table Um, and the three of them are standing there like uh, uh, Sansa and John and, and Davos are standing there like stat like greek statues it's very cool i don't know why you would <laughs> why you would do that in this scene but it, it looks awesome so i don't know it was um i'm always a fan of just purely aesthetically pleasing uh yeah moments like that well so the interesting thing that this scene brings up that uh Lyanna brings up is that um sansa's a bolton technically so this whole plan kind of hinges on sansa being the heir sansa and john i guess being the heirs to right. the stark name but neither of them have the stark name so I like the idea that Sansa will have to... Sansa makes the argument and Lyanna kind of accepts it without saying, really saying anything that, you know, she did what she had to do to survive, but she's still a Stark. But, you know, the law of the land doesn't work like that. She is a Bolton for all intents and purposes. I mean, she was a Lannister, too, I mean, by going by that logic. That, well, they were, I don't think they were ever technically married, were they? They were pledged to each other. I don't think they ever had, like, a wedding... Weddings? Oh no, that she's married to Tyrion. Obviously, yeah. you're right. Um, so yeah, you're right. <laughs> and is divorce not a thing? Can you just get married to twenty people, and it's just whatever the most recent one was? Counts. Yeah, divorce is. It's not clear if divorce is a thing. I mean, maybe it's one of those things that like only a king can annul a marriage or something like that. Um, but yeah, it's Sansa's status has been is certainly going to be an issue going forward if 
and it's going to change the way that this is what I was referring to earlier. If Sansa is successful, it's going to change the way that at least in the north um women are treated as as part of marriage because if she can if she successfully makes the argument that she is still a Stark and that she was kind of forcefully sold into these two marriages and and therefore they don't count um then that completely changes the way that marriage operates kind of, in Westeros. Kind of, but Cersei's still you know? a Lannister. Well, Sir, well, we think of her as Cersei Lannister, but she Everyone is Everyone calls Cersei. her that. Literally nobody on the show has ever referred to her as a Baratheon in history, ever. Ha- Wait a minute, but can you name... I don't I don't remember a single time anyone's called her Cersei Lannister. They refer to her and the Lannisters all the time as a group, as a unit. Well, but she, you know, that's her family heritage, but she, her name is Cersei Baratheon, just like Joffrey Baratheon and Tommen Baratheon. I mean, that may... Be technically true, but again, I think she's. Everyone sees her as a Lannister, as far as I can tell. Like the way she's treated. Well, I mean, it's another regarded. No, in that way, it's another good example. But for seasons, I mean, yeah, well, because the Baratheon house is officially dead. Basically, yeah. But um, you know, it's except for Gendry, I guess, wherever he is. But it's an interesting fight that Sansa, you know, that Sansa has to engage in, which is basically to say, like, um, I don't accept those marriages, even though I was a part of them. You know. And the whole idea, you know, the, it's a very medieval idea, the idea that you, you know, sell your daughters to um, to other houses to, you know... Well, and not so medieval. I mean, the them. idea of getting rid of your name when you get married is still a thing. <laughs> I mean, well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Some, somehow um, we've maintained that one. Uh, so, yeah, you know? it still happens. So the idea that uh, Sansa is defying this idea that she is the property of the Lannisters or the property of the Boltons... Um, is significant to the way that the world operates, and I and I hope that she is successful. She's not all, for the most part, in this episode, but I, I hope that this that things go her way. Well, and also it was overtly stated here, where it's with Cersei, I guess it wasn't. Although her whole arc in the beginning is all about how she was sold and didn't want to be married to Robert and the rest of it. It's a whole, yeah, it is a whole thing for her. And I think it's very important to her that she's a Lannister. I don't know what if anybody else thinks that, but she's very adamant that she's. She and Jamie and, you know, and, and, well, not Tyrion, but and Tywin were, you know, Lannisters. And she appeals to other Lannisters on that premise all the time. Mm. You know, and, you know, I, I think, I, like I said, I feel like in a King's Landing, whether that, you know, I don't think it's a good thing for her necessarily, but people see her, I, I do think people see her as a Lannister. So I think this is a, an interesting thread that has continued sort of throughout. Um, by the way, I just want to give a, a shout out to uh, Bella Ramsey, who plays uh Lyanna Mormont, because uh, yeah, God, she's so she's fantastic. She's really. she's great, and she's like I, I'm looking at the IMDb page. She's like listed at the bottom in like the rest of the cast listed alphabetically. She's not even she has more lines than most of the characters. And listen, <laughs> uh, uh, the mountain is listed ahead of her. I'm like the mountain stands in the room. <laughs> she has an entire sequence where she has to talk to like the leads of the show. Oh well, I, I can I. I don't even think I meant. Did I even mention Lyanna when we were talking earlier about how um, different parts of Westeros, you know, kind of have different ideas about gender roles? Oh, true. So the fact she's that in she is, yeah, the fact that she is, you know, first of all, you know, a woman, but also so young, uh, you know, ten years old, I think they say. But it's not even questioned that she's capable of leading uh, Bear Island. Well, and she clearly is very capable. She is. She's still um, surrounded by men. I'm, I, I, but again, it's not that different than. Uh... Uh, what's her face at uh the Erie? Oh, uh, she was crazy, God, but she was running. She was running things. That's true. What's it's funny now that I think about it. It's like it's really only like 
King's Landing and I guess the North that are kind of, that are more restrictive. Um, although and even Pike. our, you know, and and Pike, I guess, but he, Pike was at least seemed open to it, even if they didn't take the opportunity. Sure, yeah. And even even Ned was, you know, um, although was, oh no, I'm not. I'm thinking of uh, Ned was a little. He didn't discourage, I think, um, uh, Arya. No. But I don't think he openly, you know. Encouraged her. Certainly, no, I'm not even, I'm not, I don't remember where Brienne is from, but Brienne says that explicitly that her father taught her how to fight. Um, so, yeah, I'm just thinking of, like, the areas of Westeros where this is a, an issue versus where it's not or where it's, you know, treated differently. It's, well, it's, it's an interesting way to map out the, the show. Yeah, I think it's more of a, you know, there are these little cracks. I mean, clearly the roles are still there, regardless. Um, and by the way, I would say that although uh, Mr. Tyrell uh, is technically in charge of Highgarden, I'm assuming... You know, it's funny, I read his name this morning, oh, and I still can't have already it. forgotten it. <laughs> oh, I know, it's it's Mace, it's Mace Tyrell. Oh, right, 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 Mace Tyrell. I always yeah. think of Maester when I hear it, and then I just forget it. Um, <laughs> Mace Tyrell, by the way, that actor's in uh, The Lobster for half a second. Um, oh, yeah? Yeah. <laughs> uh, but anyway... Uh, Elena's basically running Highgarden regardless. Yeah. And I think what's always been the case, and they've certainly made that clear, is that women have certainly taken a role, maybe not in front, but were, you know, like Catelyn was clearly doing a lot as part of Winterfell, whether or not she was officially in charge of things. You know what I mean? It wasn't like she just, mm -hmm. you know, made the bed. <laughs> she was clearly, mm -hmm. she was clearly had a huge role there. She just wasn't, in charge, so that's always been a thing, but that's sort of a, a common thing we see in stories all the time where it's like, you know, behind every good man there's a woman, you know. Yeah, um, it's, yeah, it's a... Yeah. Which is which is boring, <laughs> but in this case, and, and anyway, I, I do think, I'm still holding to my theory that we're going to see a more overt and um, sort of uh, clear shift into female leadership in this series. And by the way, while John seems to be going from place to place, I still don't understand why he is, because Sansa seems to be a bit better at it. Um, he's not very good. He's not great at it. The only people he gets are the people he's gotten, you know, two, three times before, which is the wildlings. So, yeah. Anyway, that was a total, we totally got off on a tangent there, but I, I like the Mormons. <laughs> and by the way, I love the point, the punchline at the end of it, you know, yeah, that there's only 62, uh, mm -hmm. swords, you know, <laughs> um, <laughs> that was pretty amusing. Uh, but yeah, so um, so then we go back to to the to the Blackfish briefly, and we basically right. There's this whole conversation uh, with Jamie, right, which we talked about, and you 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 dug this, um, or no? I don't know. It's it's fine. I I, I like the Blackfish, but it was it didn't really. Uh, I'm not sure. I think that I don't know. I may I mean really my main problem with this scene and this episode in general is that it's a stalemate. Um, none of the plot lines in this episode really end, except for the one with the hound. Well, not even that one, really. Um, well, no, it basically just... comes to its conclusion. I mean, he's well, not dead or something, like, but like, yeah, it moves it's on. A, it's, but it's, a, it's also a cliffhanger. It concludes more definitively than anything else, but it is still a cliffhanger. But every other storyline in this episode, I'm just looking at it, it's like, every one of them just kind of leaves off um, in the middle of something. <laughs> um, and uh, I guess I just don't have a problem with that. This one more, this one most uh, noticeably. I know we've uh, talked about I, that in the past, but I don't know that it's necessarily a bad thing. I think it, it it doesn't have to be a bad thing, but in this episode, it was a it it bugged me a little more just because it felt like not enough happened in some of these storylines. Hey, hey, to Jamie that. backhanded uh, Walder Rivers or whatever the hell his name is. 
All right. Yeah, and that was great. That was great, but... right? All right. So like that's really all I needed in this episode was afraid to get, sure. you know, smacked. Yeah. Um <laughs> No, but I mean, you're right. I mean, it is sort of a stalemate, but it was like stuff happened. We were we moved first of all, again, even with all this Norse stuff, still no Ramsey. No Dorn. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I should count my blessings. No Ramsey, no Dorn. So it's been pretty great. They talked yeah. about him, but they didn't, you know. So <laughs> whatever, it's progress. Um by the way, just one last point about when you were talking about um Sansa and her name, if she is pregnant, as I posited perhaps last, uh, or I, I posited the idea last uh, podcast, um, that might make it even more difficult for her to separate herself from. It's easier when you didn't, you know, with Tyrion, they didn't even sleep together, and then with Ramsay, um, if she's not pregnant, then it makes it a bit easier, but if she is, then you have that sort of problem of an heir who now has to have a name of some sort, you know, so. Yeah. So that's that. The other thing also to to remember, one, you know, uh, just a, another sort of side point about that. Um, Ramsey's a Bolton according to the Boltons and what they said, but not everyone has to necessarily accept that. Remember, he was still hmm. not originally a Bolton, so it's possible some people are like, yeah, sure, whatever, his dad decided he was a Bolton, but he's still a bastard, you know, so that's a way that they might get around it too with some of the other northern houses. Yeah, the rules of legitimization are not super clear, not especially really. when... Well, espe- well, just when for so much of the show there were like five kings running around. Right. Um, so I thought about this last season when Stannis offered to legitimize John. I'm thinking like, you know, would, anybody would the care? other northern houses even care? Yeah. Because obviously they're not loyal to Stannis. Why do they have to care what Stannis said? They're, he's not a king in their eyes. Right. Um, so the idea, yeah, so legitimization is a weird, and, and, and the idea that a parent can just, you know, say it uh, is, is pretty strange. And if that's the case, it makes it a little uncomfortable that Ned never did that for John. Well. <laughs> um, I mean, I know there was Catelyn and her, and her feelings, no, certainly. No, it doesn't. It makes perfect sense, because he's Targaryen, so why would he make him I mean, a Stark? That's true. Well, I mean, if... <laughs> he knows who he really is, so he wouldn't do that. It probably confused John. I can see how John might be hurt by it. I'm sure... It would have bothered Catelyn, as you said, but doing that would erase who he actually is because his dad was not a Stark. It was a Targaryen, if that's accurate in any way, that theory. That's true. No, that's true. But yeah, I mean, the the point is that just legitimization is a very strange and kind of nebulous concept in the Game of you, Thrones world. And You know what else is? Pledges. What the <laughs> hell? Yeah, yeah let's, let's, let's get to uh, Lord Glover. Yeah, um, good scene, but yeah. like, what the hell? And by the way, I love that their symbol is literally like a glove. A glove. <laughs> I thought it was going to be like Childish Gambino or something, um, but I guess they decided to go with <laughs> that would have been pretty great. The literal interpretation. Um, but yeah, no, uh, I, yeah. it was. It, it's a good scene, but again, Sansa very legitimately reminds him that he his house pledged to the Starks, and he goes, "Yeah, but it we didn't like it, so we left." Yeah, well, like, what? he says that, like, well, you know, I, yeah, I gave my men to the Starks, and then the Ironborn came and attacked us, and we couldn't defend ourselves, and it's like, well, that, you know, kind of sucks, but, like, you know, like, what are you supposed to say? Like, sorry, you know, you're still pledged to us, um, you, you knew what, you knew the risks of what would happen when you sent your men away, but you did it because you, that's how this works. Um, although I can also see his argument for saying, like, look, the Starks, I was, I'm pledged to the, uh, house that rules the north and the Starks don't rule the north so of course I'm pledged to the Boltons but the idea that he would not say the, the idea that anyone would not in the north would not say oh hey the Starks are back <laughs> cool I'll help you out um, it's weird to me that it's such a struggle for them well you know 
they rallied. They were they were behind Ned, and then they basically. I, I mean, I guess the North. The implications of the North helped in the rebellion, which did work. But then there was the whole Rob thing, and the rest of it, and it didn't really work out. And people are kind of like they were enthusiastic about it then, but you know, after people suffer loss, it'd be like trying to rally people around a Baratheon banner after Stannis lost. Like he lost, he died. Mm-hmm. You know, and they're like, "Well, we wept for your brother." It's you know. That said, as the as uh, House Mormont pointed out, these pledges go back thousands of years. I I don't understand yeah. how anybody can be like, eh, eh. I don't know. I don't care about this. That's crazy. Yeah. To me. Um. Well, especially given what we're under to understand about the North, which is that they're all about you know duty and honor and, um, you know, yeah. tradition. Yeah, it's strange that. Although we also we haven't mentioned to, we have to consider that John is fighting with wildlings, and that's well, that's, that's reason that was that the gives. big barrier there, yeah, for sure. Yeah, which is you know also stupid, but I can see, I I can see from a northern perspective that John is not, you know a traitor basically because he's fighting alongside wildlings. Yeah, I will say this: um, the way he sold it to uh, uh, to House Mormon, I, I I think it was. The reason it worked there is because he was talking to a kid, and for some reason the kid's imagination is such that they can believe that White Walkers are a thing, or that the dead are real, or whatever it is that Davos was trying to communicate. And by the way, that wasn't just he respected her, he also knew how to talk to a kid. And talking about, like, this is a problem, but like, as you might imagine, kids aren't that interested in politics, Um, never have been. None of the kids in the show have ever been interested in politics, except for when they can use it to, you know do things like Joffrey, but mostly they just don't care. They do care about spooky people in the night, and so talking about spooky people gets them on your side. That doesn't work you with know what adults they should... because they go, you know, that's not real, it's not a real thing, I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, well, you know what they should have done is they should have just taken one of the whites and, like, put it in a cage and just drag it around with them and, like, <laughs> look at this! Yeah, maybe. <laughs> I mean, it's too bad the White Walkers kind of shatter when you kill them, or else they could have, you know, taken a White a literal Walker. literal White Walker, yeah, that would have been nice. Yeah. Um, we'll put it in an obsidian cage or something. Yeah, exactly. How cool would that be? Yeah. Um, but yeah, so, I mean, but communicating this to, uh, to an adult seems like it's a tough, tough sell. Even Sam and, and Gilly had that problem when they went to, uh, whatever, his house. Um. Yeah. But yeah, so that was cool. Uh, what's next? Um, ah, uh, uh, Theon and Yara oh, and Volantis. Yeah. I love this scene. Yeah, I love this I scene. I really like this um, scene First of all, has Yara's sexuality been discussed at, before this point? I don't think so. I don't think it has. Yeah. So, you know, for, first of all, cool. Yeah. You know, uh, that made me happy. And it's... She's she's it, not straight. Um, yeah, exactly. And it's what's interesting about this is that it kind of... It makes me... West, the Westeros take on sexuality is a very... It's similar to the what we were talking about with gender because it seems like different houses or different places kind of have different treatments of it. Like um, obviously in King's Landing and you know where they worship you know the seven, uh, the seven seem to have very clear rules on <laughs> on on uh, homosexuality at least. But it, it's not in places like you know Dorne, for example. Nobody seems to really care. And that's in an Pike, interesting like, point. I would say though it's probably also more flexible for women in general because or it would make sense to me if it was in this world just because like i to some extent they're still important for political maneuvering uh you know you can marry your daughter off to some random lord and make an alliance that way which happened all the time certainly but at the same time it's also you know they want the per the male heirs to stay and make kids and get married to someone of the opposite sex so they can 
you know, to a woman so they can have kids and do that whole thing. Whereas, while it's important, it's not quite as important, I guess, for them. For And it, it comes back to whether or not you think a woman should be able to lead the... Um, well, I mean, the High Sparrow says in this very episode, you know, desire is not needed on the woman's right, part. Right, so right. I think you might be right about that. But it's, you know, you have to imagine that... Uh, the king, uh, the king, wh- who the king's daughter is into, was probably not a secret on Pike, um, and the fact that it wasn't even brought up at the king's mood, well, uh, as opposed to the fact that her gender was as as a disqualification on religious grounds by this priest, is interesting. It's interesting that different religions ha- seem to have like looser uh, restrictions in this in this way. Well, the other question is though. I mean, I guess it comes down to this: if a f- like a woman takes over one of these, like, let's say takes over House Stark, let's say Sansa ends up in charge of Winterfell, and she has she gets married and has kids there to somebody from another house, are they Starks, or are they whatever the other house is? And if the that's answer is they're whatever the other house is, then maybe that's why they don't care what Yara does with her free time, because it, she couldn't produce any heirs for the Greyjoys anyway, because they wouldn't be Greyjoys. So they don't care. That's true. And they're not going to... Who's going to marry her off? <laughs> her dad's dead, and no one else is obviously going to ever do that, so I guess it doesn't really matter. But all of this is irrelevant, because really the point is, this is confirming the ship that I got on yeah, last I know, right? episode. Oh my God. I, was, I couldn't tell you how happy it was, because I was like, oh my god, it's happening! It's happening! Ah! This is gonna be this is gonna be another Korosami thing, where I go from like, that's, you know, that's that'd be awesome, but it could never happen to like... They're kind of seeding this. They, is this okay, but they happen? do it twice in this because they first show that she's into women. Um, yeah. And then she says they're from, on their way Danny's to Danny's history with men is bizarre and strange. And, you know, who knows? Maybe we don't know what her sexuality is beyond that. But, you know, Darian Harris isn't exactly someone you stick by. <laughs> He's the most boring person on the planet. <laughs> and then they say they're going to Marine yep. to see Daenerys. Yay. I'm so excited. <laughs> I was so excited. Not only that, though, forget about that. I'm a huge fan, probably because I have a sister, of uh, sibling development in shows. I loved it in Avatar. I thought it was probably the best aspect, um, you know, mm-hmm. with Sokka and, and Katara, and then uh, Zuko, and Uz- Zuko and Azula. Uh, one very toxic relationship, one very healthy one. Um, and in this, <laughs> this scene is so great. It's First of all, yeah, you I see Yara being soft for the first time ever, which is really interesting to see. And then I just like character development through Ale. I mean, it's it's interesting. <laughs> Yo, yeah, I like that she is... I, I mean, I, I, I... God, I love her character so much. She's awesome. Um, She's so good. And even more so in this scene, because the you know, the way that she is, you know, she is able to be uh, supportive of Theon and gentle with him without sacrificing who we know her to be as a character to be very, you know, tough and, and you know... Uh, salty, you know, if in a in a sailor's in a sailor uh, <laughs> sense. <Right>. Um, <laughs> but yeah, the idea that she can, that she really does genuinely care for her brother, and she doesn't express that in the same way as you know, she doesn't express that through her toughness. But the way that she expresses it doesn't minimize that toughness. It's well, it doesn't, still... and she does say, if you're not going to do this, then just <laughs> die. Yeah, I mean, she does, but it's also, I, but she says it in a way that like. I don't think she... I, I think she probably does genuinely think, like, look, if you're not gonna... It, it, well, what she says is, like, if you genuinely think that the Greyjoy is gone, then go slit your wrists. Um, and that's probably true that she thinks that, but it's also meant to basically say to Theon, look, you know, if... I know you don't believe that there's no coming back from this, right. and I'm here for you. And it's, the, it's just a, such a good moment. 
yeah, I, I, it's it's a great scene that, first of all, it's just, I like the rhythm of it, I guess is really what I'm getting at, like, where he's, they have these, like, little short, or she gives, like, a little pep talk, and then he has to drink, and then, and as mm-hmm. he drinks, you sort of see him coming around on this idea of going to Daenerys and doing this whole thing, or whatever, it doesn't actually matter, he's really just interested in sticking with his sister, and, yeah, I just dug this, uh, this, this whole sequence and it sets up so many interesting things uh, so they're in Volantis is that the that we're supposed to know that yeah and what's yeah and we'll uh, that's that's pretty far from Marine but obviously we know that uh, Tyrion and Varys got there pretty quick last season oh yeah um, but this gets to something uh, a little bit later that I'll I'll talk about a little oh, bit oh interesting but yeah I loved this scene yeah it's great um, and I didn't expect it to happen this this episode but I was because remember we had been speculating where they're going we didn't have any ideas so now we've got they're both converging on Marine. if they can get there first they're already in Volantis so if they can get there because they have the faster ships and oh and also they're sailing there remember they're not going by yeah. buggy or whatever the hell Tyrion and Varys were doing so they could get there really fast um, and if they can get there and hole up in Marine. Uh, and of course, Danny's not there. We have to remember that too, or she's not there yet. Maybe she'll get there next episode. Um, they can sort of defend against Euron if Euron decides he's like, "All right, you don't want to do this, then we're gonna siege you." Yeah. So if they get there first, they can sort of do that. But if not, then that's a good that that would be really cool. Yeah, that would be interesting. Um, right. So, so we have this quick scene of just Sansa. Um, well, we see them in you know the fact that the. Sansa and John's forces are not exactly up to snuff, um, and I love when <laughs> love when Davos sees two of them fighting, and he runs over like a like a high school football coach. Right. Like now, you you kids, you you cut this nonsense out. We're Stop all in fighting. this together. Yeah, and they're like, "Who are you?" Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was my favorite part. <laughs> who are you? Yeah, yeah, because of course they have no idea who any of these people are. Probably. Why would they? Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, um, but I liked. Uh, I I liked. I, so I guess what I was interested in the scene um, was this sort of weirdly subtle reference to ravens, uh, and I know mm-hmm. I know it's it's in reference to I, I got to say at first I was like oh are they I, I was thinking they were going to do something pertaining to Bran honestly when they first started showing ravens in cages I was like oh that would be an, yeah that would have been cool that would have been cool and then I was like oh whatever but um, she gets this message do we see who that's from or what it was related to we don't but I I assume it's to Littlefinger. I think that's probably a safe assumption to because her though, whole why would she send it to Littlefinger? She doesn't have to talk to him ever again. She can just send it. Well, because her whole fish. fear in this, her whole fear in this moment is like we don't have enough men. We need to go get more men. And John says, "No, we have to do this now. We can't wait anymore." Um, but why can't? Well, and he can teleport. So but why don't they? Well, yeah. I, <laughs> but I, my thinking is, she decides to write a letter to Littlefinger, like, "Look, I know what I said, but we really need the Vale army. Um, can you?" Help yeah, but us out? what he said was that all you had to do was tell the Blackfish. You don't have to talk to me. So why wouldn't she just send a raven straight to him? Well, because Brienne's going there. Oh, oh okay. On her so behalf. who else would she be? Yeah. So I think this is pro- this might be her like sending a letter to Littlefinger, like, "Look, I'm sorry about what I said. You know, maybe not meaning it, but <laughs> lying and saying I'm sorry about what I said. Uh, can you like come help us out? Which is going to be awkward since she's clearly keeping the secret from Jon still when they're in the middle of the battle and all of a sudden the army of the Vale shows up. Yeah, but. It's going to, I don't know, I dig it. And and I think, um, I think that's what we've been assuming is going to happen since the beginning anyway, so. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I think that's supposed to be what, we, I mean, they deliberately keep it out of focus so we don't know what it says. I don't know why that needs to be a. Yeah, I don't know why it's a secret. Like, I've, 
I mean, obviously, it's maybe it's not obvious who she's writing to, but I think that's, you know, like, who else would she be writing to? You know what I mean? It's weird that they would uh, hold off on that. By the way, the other thing we sort of assumed last week was that they had been rallying the houses sort of off screen and we didn't realize it, and then it turns out that's not the case at all. Which I also yeah, think is kind that's of true. Well, the only thing he says is that he sent ravens to the three big biggest houses. Right. So I guess. Right, but then we that, hear that, like kind of, you know they're taking over yeah. River Run and yada yada yeah, yada. Yeah, that's right because they were like strategizing and stuff at that table last week and. Uh, yeah. But. <laughs> they didn't have anyone on their side yet. Yep. Huh. That's weird. Very strange, but whatever. Um, so uh, so we get a little bit more Ian McShane. Um, again, I just want to just emphasize Ian McShane and Rory McCann have great chemistry, which is why I was so frustrated by the end of this episode. Um, yeah, but they're great. Uh, the shots I, I could watch uh, the hound chopping wood uh, for hours. It's great, um, and I, I like the way these are just framed. He looked like uh, a lumberjack or you know, Mister Clean or something. Yeah, it was cool. I dug it. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, um, I. By the way, what I love about this character of, of Ray, which I, Ray. I still can't do with that name, but what I like about the character that he says, I think earlier in the episode, or maybe it's now, that he basically says, because he, he's a Septon, but he says, I don't know what the gods want. Like, they're the gods. I have no idea. Oh, I love that. There, yeah, are, yeah. Even, there are even seven gods, um, but he believes that there is a higher power, and it's important to him that, you know, to to bring, good, to bring goodness into the right. world, is what he says in this speech, basically. Um, but I love it that as a counterpoint to the High Sparrow, who is so sure that he knows exactly what the gods want. And that his job is to enact that on people, whether they like it or not. Um, It's a cool, it's a, it's, it's a side of this religion that we haven't seen yet, or a side of really any religion. Um, The idea that someone can be uh, a septon, but treat religion as something that's not all about rules and like, you know, treating religion basically as though you have an understanding of what the gods want. Mm. Um, through a holy book or whatever it is, but instead just saying, no, it's like, I, I I think there's a higher power, but I know all I can do, all I know that is right to do is to do good and bring good into the world. So that's what I'm going to do. And at least Um, that's what he's preaching. I mean, clearly he made some commitment to the seven because he did become a seven and did have the, um, whatchamacallit, uh, you know, the little thing. Yeah, the the necklace, yeah. So, I mean, clearly to him, he's like, I mean, I believe this, but in general, who who knows? And I'm not going to preach it to you. Which I find interesting. He's a very interesting character. And unlike yeah, was. the High Sparrow's not trying to make any sort of power grab or the rest of it, which of course is the great hypocrisy of the High Sparrow in the first place. Yeah. Um, so anyway, yeah, I like I like this a lot. Uh, and uh, we sort of, it's just a brief moment, but we get this. Oh, is this when we see... Yeah, the Brotherhood runs is up. That, and, that's uh, the scene? Yeah, it's... Um... First of all, I thought it was maybe King's Landing or something, or like the High Sparrow or something, making some... Yeah, it wasn't clear who they the were. Hound or, I don't know. It wasn't clear who they were and to me until they said the night is dark and full of terrors because we know that the Brotherhood travels, you know, with the uh, with the Red Priest, right. Thoris Vermeer. Um, well, I'm glad they course, said it. He was like, "It's the Brotherhood." Yeah, he says it in the next scene. Luckily, um, to to make sure, you know, to I had no idea to make it obvious. I just figured they were um, bandits. I mean, it doesn't really matter, I guess. I mean, well, that's the thing. It's like the Brotherhood wasn't really bandits. The last time we saw them, they were genuine. They seemed like they were genuinely out to do good, um, and Arya obviously had her disagreements with them. <laughs> um, right, right, but right, right. It's it's strange. The Brotherhood seems to have gone down a darker path, or at least these members of it have. 
since we last saw them. Yeah, well, you know, I, I feel like uh, if they lost their leader or if they got splintered at all, then, you know, that's what happens. That's what happened to Samurai. You know, they had a code and then, yeah. you know, stuff happens. Um, so I wonder if that'll play if the kind of... I mean, obviously, that's where the Hound is going at the end of the episode, but I wonder how much of the... Uh, this new version of the Brotherhood will see and how well, how much of a significance it'll have. Or if it's just kind of symbolic of... Uh, I think they're just you know, meat bags for him to kill. I, well, hopefully not. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't I found... mind like a good 10-minute middle chunk of the next episode where the Hound just kills people. Honestly, no, I'm I hope so. sad about that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I feel like... I don't know. I just feel like he, they could have just been bandits, right? Why make them with the Brotherhood that we already know Yeah, about? clearly they want to draw some sort of connection. Um... And maybe it'll lead to more connections with this whole red priest. I mean, it would be. Or, I don't know. Yeah, we know that um, the hound. We remember the hound. The hound fought Beric Dondarrion, who was with the Brotherhood right. a couple seasons oh, ago. Oh right, so yeah, maybe, he was actually him. Maybe they'll have a rematch. That would be kind of interesting. That would be cool. Um, but yeah, so maybe it's just because the the hound has kind of an experience experience with the Brotherhood. Uh, the Brotherhood also loyal to, weren't they? Uh, didn't they have some kind of loyalty to the Starks because they were hunting down? Lannister well, they were talking right? about maybe talking to the Brotherhood or something. We were talking about that last episode. Yeah. I mean, that would... Uh, yeah, that would have been a good move for uh, John and Sansa to... Appeal to them. ...to go talk to the Brotherhood. Yeah. I don't know how much how much of an awareness of the Brotherhood they have, and maybe now it wouldn't be a good idea considering what they seem to have become, or at least these members, like I said, have. Right, right, right. But I guess we'll find out next week what's going on there. Which is funny, because we sort of forgive what the Wildlings are doing, what have, the Wildlings have done, too. Like, they were not... Yeah, right. You know, they may keep their word, as Tormund says, but they also were doing plenty of other stuff. So yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, I don't know. Uh, but of course, each, every house is doing some crazy thing. Of course, I mean, I'm sure the Glovers have their own weirdnesses going on in their um, their house, and yada yada yada. Who knows? Um, it seems like there's very few houses that are pretty much clean of anything. The Starks being one of them, I would say they pretty much mostly didn't really do anything. Um, wrong overtly uh and then yeah. maybe the mormons seem to be a decent bunch but even then you got jorah so you know mm-hmm. um but anyway yeah so uh we'll talk we'll finish up with that in just one second but we've got to do this aria storyline yes um tries to buy a ship back to westeros i loved and... i loved the way this was shot in this whole scene this was cool yeah well i loved her throwing down the money bags when she wants a bigger cabin and then swiping them back um, yeah, <laughs> that was good. But even the way I just want to talk about this really quick, because again, I didn't realize this until I screenshot. I like when she comes in. She comes in under like a netting roof, and it it takes a while for her to walk up to this table, and the way like the 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 light is coming through the netting. She's the shadows are crossing her, and they cross her eyes a bunch of times, and it just gives this impression. I mean, so like it, one of the things we, I'm sure you've people know this but you know like in film noir um that, that's something they'll do when someone's up to sort of something shady or they want to imply that they've got something else going on is they'll have light coming through like shades or something to you know the, yeah, across yeah. their face and it's sort of this it's subtle and it's sort of a small little thing but it, again she could have just walked across an open market and just as often happens in the show with no meaning again not really all that important but again it's just another little additional detail that i think makes it very clear that she's got you know a she Either she just stole, or she's about to steal, or she's about to pull some sort of trick, or do something to get what she wants. Uh, and I just I like this whole thing, and I like her negotiation, and I like that she walked up with her hands behind her back, totally, um, 
confident in you know what she was doing. I I dug the whole thing. <laughs> it's it's a bit different than for Arya. Usually she's like stubborn and like people are mean and I'm mean and blah blah blah. But <laughs> in this case she's it, it's like she's got she's figured it out and that's what makes this moment a little bit later so jarring and surprising and sad is that she seems to have it together and she's about to get out uh and uh you know then this yeah well as soon as this old lady shows up out of focus in the background i was like that's nope <laughs> i know what's i know what's about to happen here somehow it got me um, i don't know I, I i figured there was, was something weird about it but i was like i know i guess i just because i knew that the i knew that like there was no way she was getting on that boat without the waif doing something. I, I thought maybe the waif would sneak on board or something. Uh, but I knew she was going to show up at some point. So as soon as that woman showed up in the in the background, I was like, that's okay. Well, I, I hope she makes it out. Um, what was jarring to me was the actual violence itself being stabbed in the stomach and like slashed oh, across man. the... Slashed somewhere? I didn't really see. No, no, it was, it was slashed um, across the stomach and then stabbed in the stomach a bunch of times. Yeah, it was brutal and like the kind of injury that... Car- and it was shot well you, too, by the way. I just want to say this scene is so cool. It is a great scene. Everything is yeah, 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 spatially. Yeah. You got it. They're on the bridge. They're in the middle of the bridge. When she jumps over, it makes total sense. She swims thought, over. The shot of her spinning into the water is fantastic. Right, right. Yeah, so exactly. That that shot's cool. Um, her disappearance. The whole thing is... And it was really... I mean, what's other, The other cool thing about this choreography um, is that they have this scene where she... Or this moment where she like subtly takes off her face uh, and reveals herself to Arya. Which, by the way, this is the thing I didn't mention last week that really bothers me about this whole waif thing. She has a personal vendetta against this person. Uh, and then during this, which apparently uh, Jack and Agar doesn't seem to care uh, that she's taking this very personally, even though they're supposed to be these neutral assassins who just follow the the face, the, whatever, the many face god. And then she takes off her thing right before Arya, you know, she, assuming Arya is going to die, so that she knows that it was her who did it. And it's like, this is, you're not no one. If you yeah. want someone to know it was that, it was you who did it. So you're, you know, talk about hypocrisy. It's complete well, nonsense. Well, maybe, uh, maybe that'll be her downfall because I'm sure we're, I'm sure Arya's not I'm done sure. with her. Yeah. But by the and way, the next was, episode's called No One, so. Well, exactly. And that's what I was, that's what triggered that when you were telling me what the, the next episode is called No One. I was like, oh, yeah, I wanted to talk about that. Um, and yeah, just on that note, you know, the show doesn't usually surprise me. When she got like stabbed like that, I was like, you know, I don't think Arya's gonna. I think she's an end gamer, but I don't know, maybe not. So um. Yeah. Well, yeah. Like I was, it, it's the kind of injury that usually denotes death. Usually. Um. Yeah. Like I'm. It's like it's exactly what happened to um, Rob's wife, uh, Talisa. It's the exact oh, yeah. same thing, and like she was dead, dead. Well, she um, immediately falls into salt water, so she's immediately washed. <laughs> no, seriously. Um, oh well. Oh, you know what? Yeah. So it's immediately clean. So. Now she's stumbling through the streets. It depends who she runs into. I mean, it's the kind of thing that you don't survive very long on. And no one seemed interested in her, died, unfortunately. And by the way, she was stabbed, fell to the ground, and then no one helped her at the red wedding, as opposed to Arya, who conceivably could run into someone. By the way, they kept there was a guy well, in the background who kept showing up. Did you notice that? No, that's funny that the same extra kind of kept sneaking in. No, I just he almost looked like Gendry, but it it wasn't. But it like it could have been. It was weird. It's a weird thing. Hmm. It's probably not him. But I was just as I was like, oh, is that how they're going to reintroduce this character? Um, that would be cool if if Gendry shows up to help. What initially I thought it, what, this is what I I mentioned about the map earlier. Um, um that might have been off air, but I I looked at the map for the first time 
in a while. Oh, right, yeah. Just because I, I was curious, because what I thought was going to happen is like, I was like, oh, she's in Bravos. Uh, Theon's right nearby in Volantis. Right. <laughs> Theon can show up and help her. Then I looked at the map, and Bravos and Volantis are literally on opposite ends of the continent. Oh, that's awkward. They could not be further apart. Oh, so, the, the public service announcement, everybody. Like, take a look at the map. <laughs> <laughs> I'll link, maybe I'll link it, to an image of it. That would be a good idea. It, I'll, I'll find a link, actually. There's an interactive version. Oh, sweet. It's truly shocking um, how far apart certain things are. And, and the show doesn't do a great job of ex, uh, expressing that, like we said, when people are just teleporting every week. Teleporting every weekend, that opening sequence cuts around too much to really get an idea of where anything is. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and they don't do things. They don't show Volantis on that map anyway. No, um, no. So, yeah, that said, uh, this might change her plans in going to Westeros because uh, it looked like she was pretty set on that. But now... By the by, the time she finishes dealing with the wave, she might go. You know, maybe I'll stay here. Maybe I'll do something else. Or she'll hear like, "There's a place she can go," and she'll show up in Mar- she'll show up in Marine. And by the way, I thought it would be kind of cool if she showed up in Marine, uh, just because it's like they're building teams. You know, like Civil War, a mm-hmm. movie you love. Um, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, but no, it's kind of like that. You know, where they've got you know on. Uh, Sansa and Jon have teamed up over there. It would be—I mean, it's fine if Arya shows up over there, but I'd like the Starks to sort of Starks and Theon. I guess he's not really Stark, but you know, he was living with them in the beginning to sort of have their own little teams that show up and maybe work together or something when they finally meet in the inevitable massive conclusion to this. So I'm glad if Arya ends up staying in Essos, I will be more stoked about that than her going back to Westeros because it's—I don't know—boring. Yeah, uh, yeah, I guess we'll see. Um... But uh, yeah, so, yeah I it's, a good, it's a good good sequence, and then uh, we go back to definitely the hound. <sighs> yeah, I mean, like the episode started with these people so happy and so jolly. Like, <laughs> part of me knew there was no way they <laughs> were going to make never it. Never gonna. How did they make it this far? <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, by being out in the middle of nowhere, just they finally ran into trouble. I guess it's inevitable in Westeros. But yeah, it, it, as soon as I saw them all dead, yeah, I was like. Oh, well, I mean, duh, I guess, but that's that really sucks. But then part of me, then I immediately had the thought of like, oh, no, 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 don't tell me. He, don't tell me Ian McShane is dead, too. He was in one episode on. of the show. Oh, there's my no God. way they would do that to There's no way. Uh, but nope, there he is. He's just hanging. Um, I, I, I immediately was like, oh, well, maybe they could do a thing where, like, the hound finds him, just like he found the hound, and uh, and he helps him, you know. Oh, yeah. He nurses him back to health. I and, had my own. It's the two of them. My own fantasy was that he. So I was hoping this would not be. It'd be a moment for the Hound, but I was really hoping that it would be a moment where, because you know, it's sort of like, you know, then all their deaths are just part of his character development, you know, as opposed to. Yeah. What if he convinced Ian McShane to at least fight? Even if Ian McShane died here, it would have been interesting to see him next to like an axe where he had killed a few people. And then you're like, oh, the Hound maybe made a point to him instead of the other way around, which is what you would expect. Sort of an interesting sort of counterpoint where he... he... And then that's what inspires him to go out. Because he goes, you know, I was right. This isn't the way to do it. And then that makes way more sense than just, oh, vengeance. I don't like that they killed my friends that I just made recently. You know what I mean? Yeah. What a cool cool sort of reverse. Even if it's the end of Ian McShane, which again, I want to just... He is awesome and he has the perfect there's moments where he's he just he's brutal when he's talking about the things he did and then he just has this soft expression he can always pull out that just 
it just invigorates his speech if he wants to just you know he makes him sympathetic as he's talking about these horrible things he did he just he'll just pull it out you know where he's like his his uh you know his eyebrows raise a little bit and he just suddenly looks very sad <laughs> and he always he does this he did it in deadwood he does it in you know he <laughs> does it in freaking pirates of the caribbean um although they put so much eyeliner on him it's almost impossible to see it but he you know he can do it and it's this amazing you know skill he has and it's just so sad to see it used in like one scene and then he dies yeah well this is the thing with max von Sydow too at least max von Sydow got like a couple oh, yeah. episodes um but we talked about this is like it's so weird that you would cast such a legendary actor and then immediately kill him off yeah um ian mcshane he got one episode and he was just He's gone. gone yeah it's such a shame and it's what's even worse is when you see how much chemistry he had with uh roy mccann it's like um you guys yeah. know this worked really well, right? Like, I would see one screen test with them or one, like, quick thing with them and be like, oh, these characters need to to be in more things together. Um, but alas, what can you do? Um, <laughs> I do like the final shot of him taking the axe. I know it's kind of what you would expect, but I, I liked it. That was a cool, cool final moment. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's... I'm, again, to me, a weird way to end an episode, just as it was a weird way to begin an episode, just because, to like, the... Ha- I don't know, like, again, I like the Hound, but it's also, like, it's the Hound. <laughs> He's such a minor character, and we haven't seen him in so it's long. It's just to have this stupid fight with him in the mountain. By the way, we can talk about what we were going to talk about before, which is... Oh, I mean, no, yeah, let's talk about it. I mean, so this theory has been going on for a very long time, probably since the Gravedigger thing. Or no, because it, basically the theory goes like this. Cersei demands a trial by combat. Um... Obviously, her champion is Gregor Clegane, the mountain, and... And she assumes that the High Sparrow has no one. Yeah, exactly. But the Faith's champion turns out to be, uh, you know, drumroll, it's Gregor Clegane! He's still alive! And the theory is pretty ridiculous. It's Sandor, right? Yeah, exactly. Oh, did I say Gregor again? No, he's Sandor Clegane, the Hound. Yeah, but the reason it's semi-plausible is that he is with a Septon, you know? Um... But that's so not the case anymore. Exactly. <laughs> so it doesn't make a whole... And, yeah, and he clearly is not kind of absorbed the religious teachings if the end of this episode is any indication. Um, but I think it's pretty clear that even if it's not in that specific circumstance, he he is going to face off against his brother. It just makes in sense. Regard, I, I don't yeah. see any. I don't see any other reason to bring him back, really. Yeah, I don't... And, I, you know, I don't have a problem with him coming back. Um I would prefer he comes back in a in a capacity that sort of sidelines or helps another character out um, yeah. to have his own weird arc. But again, this is something we saw from literally the first season. He fights the mountain in the first season. That's oh, that's right. At the uh, so this would be a, attorney, a conclusion right? of an arc that's been going on for a long time. Um, yep. So I mean, I guess it's it's you know it is what it is. But again, I thought that when the Brotherhood was coming up, I was like, oh, this is them asking him to be the champion for. And the reason that they're coming to him is because, you know, the High Sparrow is sort of the head of the seven followers, and so the Septimus sort of give him up because that's the way it is. Uh, and maybe they'll have a showdown, but eventually he'll go for whatever reason. Nope, none of that. He, they were just bandit, basically, people who, whatever. By the way, the yeah. other thing I just want to say about the Brotherhood, it's possible they're just rogues. You know what I mean? They may be like, oh, we're, you know, flying under that banner without actually being... That's you know possible. what I mean? Or they joined just so they could get some swords and some weapons and have some resources to do what they were doing already, which was being bandits. So who knows? We don't. Well, know. I w- it would be it would be interesting because I have to assume that for whatever reason, 
they brought this character back, it has to be somehow related to the whatever's going on with the Brotherhood, because, it, like, they could have just made them bandits. It would be weird. And they didn't say they were with the Brotherhood, only the Hound said that later. He, like, recognized so, their armor or something? Well, and, and that they said the night oh, is dark right, and right, full right, of sure, terrors, yeah. I think, was the, yeah. But it was, I think it has to be something that maybe he takes over the Brotherhood, and that's how he helped, and that's how oh. he gets the Brotherhood to help Sansa and John. Um, that would be that cool. would be interesting. Yeah, maybe the Brotherhood has some you know dark secret that uh, is going to be revealed. It has to be something like that. But his his him as a leader seems kind of odd. But it would be cool if he did, honestly. Or maybe that's mm. maybe that's the whole point of this episode is his transformation into somebody who would lead people instead of just taking orders. Because there's that whole speech he gives about taking orders, where he's like, "I did things and just you know, if they say kill these people, I killed these people, and I just did it." And that's exactly what the hounds experiences. And so maybe he's going to be like, "No, I'll do my own thing now." Because <laughs> remember, even when he was with Arya, he was delivering her or doing some sort of thing for someone, and he's finally yeah. going to do his own thing now for the first time. Mm-hmm. You know, in small instances, he would do things. Um, uh, you know, he would take vengeance on somebody like in the immediate, but not in the, not as like a life path. And now he's doing his own thing, which is cool. Taking control of your destiny, cool. I dig it. I just, I don't know why I had to come at the expense of Ian Shane, who could have died at least <laughs> fighting instead of he. What he killed himself, or did they hang him, or what happened? I guess they hung him. Yeah. yeah. No, that's depressing. Yeah. Um. Or is it they hanged him? I always, I never know. Yeah, whatever. I don't know. Yeah, well, I think hanged, I think it's a British-American thing. Um, speaking of American, though, uh, Ian McShane will be in American Gods, which is an adaptation yep. of a, what, a Neil Gaiman novel? Yeah, created by Brian Fuller, my my guy from Hannibal. Oh, there you go. I'm excited for that. Yeah, and Ian McShane, and from what I understand, Ian McShane is the perfect casting choice for the character they've given him. And he's played, oh, no, he played a king. He's played a king in Kings. Um, so now he can, you know, now he's going to play a god. Sure, why not? Um, uh, well, he does, and then he played a Greek hero in uh, Hercules. So yeah, he's he's been pretty much everything, and a pirate captain. Um, so yeah, so he's going to be in that, and uh, you know, they keep talking about this Deadwood movie, um, which really seems like it is going to happen. I mean, it really does seem like apparently, uh, what's what it, I forget his name, um, the guy who created Deadwood is writing the script um, for it. It is in talks. It's just the deal, I guess, hasn't been cemented. Um, but supposedly it's it's in progress and he's willing to come back. So uh, my the reason I bring it up in this case is not to just chill for Ian McShane, but I will do that. Um, it's that, and by the way, uh, PJ Dillon, who did the cinematography on this, did work on um, Kings, which Ian McShane was on, and also uh, Vikings, which is a very beautiful show. So, you know, there you go. Mm. Um, but anyway, the reason I bring it up in this context is that if he's going to be doing these other things. Maybe that's why they wanted to get rid of his character so he's not tied up with three different you know, possibly three different HBO projects at once. Hmm. Um, which is, you know, a good reason to get rid of somebody. But still, I would have liked to have seen more of them. Yeah, it's 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 too bad. Um, so next week is uh, no one. No one. No one. So uh, I'm assuming this has to do with, this is going to be predominant. well, not predominantly, it will be a little bit about Arya. At least, you would have, it would be weird if, if it wasn't. <laughs> right, exactly. You know, one of my wonders is, if she kills the waif, will Jack and Hagar come after her? Or hmm. will Jack and Hagar send people after her or something? Well, you know, the whole thing is like, um, you know, a life is owed, a life is taken and stuff. So if she kills the waif, maybe he'll just be like, well, you know, Net the zero. Been paid. Yeah, but, you know, again, the hypocrisy. I'm kind of feeling like 
if he was willing to let her well, enact her jealous, you know, anger. The the um the the moral strictures of the of the house in Bla- of black and white have never been like up to code. <laughs> so I wouldn't be surprised if if he just doesn't care that that's hypocritical. Maybe, but again, so then he might he might not follow the well. You know, you killed one, I killed one. Whatever, it doesn't matter. You know. Um, on the other hand, uh, maybe it's speaking of people taking over things, maybe she'll end up in charge of the House of Black and White if she ends up killing Jack maybe. and Agar or doing something like that and then have that entire thing at her disposal, which would be interesting. Hmm. Yeah. Who knows? Who knows? All right. <laughs> okay, well, I will talk to you about that episode next week. All right, sounds good. Sounds good.